Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Network to Code on Network Collective. Today, we're continuing our focus on network automation and programmability by talking about navigating enterprise process during automation projects. Technology is only a small piece of the automation puzzle, and automation efforts often require adjustments or updates to the ways companies do the, their day-to-day -day work. Network to Code has lots of experience helping organizations navigate these changes, so I'm looking forward to hear what they have to say on the topic, which we'll get to right after this short break. So helping co-host today's episode is Rick Sherman from Network to Code. Also joining us are Darren Johnson and Brian Culver. Welcome to the show. So let's get started. So it's no secret that most enterprises have deeply ingrained processes in the way they handle technology. And often an automation project can either work uh, with or against these things. So it might make sense to uh, take a minute to talk about uh, some examples of what we mean when we say enterprise processes. So what are the typical correlated processes that you all encounter when spinning up an automation effort? Yeah, so one of, one of the things that we, we run into um, has to do with uh, what we call the human API. And that, that's something that we run into most times. And to give you, the best way I can explain is to give you a tangible example. Uh, IP addressing is something that uh, we're all familiar with, right? IPAM handing out IP addresses, uh, whether they're they're static or dynamic. Someone controls, or a group of someone's control subnet and subnet allocations. What we end up finding is uh, we'll go gung, uh, a group will be gung ho into an automation effort, and they'll decide that we're going to um, we're going to automate config generation, automate you know segmenting a, a cloud portion of our network, and they'll they'll go through and get so deep into the weeds on which technology stacks they'll use that they don't realize that there is one person uh, sitting in a basement somewhere that has a spreadsheet that allocates these IP addresses, and no matter what. Um, top of the line, you know, NetBox or IPAM or DSIM allocation system that you set up, you have to go back to this one person that has a spreadsheet full of IP addresses, and they are the source of truth for that. Uh, that's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is there's no uh, source of truth for IP allocation. So something that's very small that we're all used to as IP addresses can start to unravel the, the, the entire enterprise automation initiative. And that's what we mean when we talk about processes is normally, you know, a human interact, human to machine interaction that somehow needs to be vetted, worked out and, and kind of just and identify in order to put that into the, the ultimate automation effort. And that I, I so that really, the, I love your term human API, because it really kind of talks to both pieces. So when you're kicking off the project, um, a lot of times you have a, a statement of work that says, well, you know, we're looking to automate the network and you, you identify certain daily activities an engineer does and say, okay, how do we, how do we kick this off? Well, I mean, that human API needs to be engaged so very frequently at the very beginning, which is, I mean, even just getting IP address to get a box on the network to start driving some of that automation. But then further still, you may have spent, you know, days and hours working on this automation for a very low value piece of automation. Um, and I think a lot of businesses, it's easier to for a small business to kind of, I, I think, to, to go at automation because you can quickly reach that person that is assigning those IP addresses and you can 
pretty much bring all of the relevant parties in a room and say, what is, what is costing you guys the most amount of time and, and effort to, to do this stuff manually. But when you get into the enterprise space, it can take months to maybe a year to quickly identify, to identify that. Yeah. Someone has been issuing these IP addresses manually, you know, for, for all this time and they, everyone references to by name, but you think this is some tool or utility that you want to get access to. And then months later down the road, you find out this one person that you have not been onboarding or talking to is just a person sitting at a desk managing a spreadsheet. And, you know, that's, that's a, an ever evolving life cycle thing that you need to interact with that maybe it wasn't fruitful for you to to update switch port descriptions and automating IP address assignment would save the entire organization countless hours of downtime or maintenance or, and, you know, all these types of activities just for, you know, identifying the right solution for this. And it's so difficult in enterprise because it's such a massive, you know, problem set. Well, it's interesting too that you mentioned downtime or outages and things like that, because I think, you know, one of the things that I think about enterprise process is that they generally occur for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, it's easier to do this in a small business, right? You can be really agile, you can make things happen, but as organizations scale, they need process to put guardrails on things so that they have some semblance of control. And, and maybe, you know, you guys can kind of talk about how that kind of hand of doom overarching control is also influencing these human APIs. Yeah, and that's why that's a perfect point. One of the things we we look at is our workflows, and that's that's the way we we ultimately unravel these processes. Is we look at a workflow, and it's it's and we kind of assign a workflow to a persona or a group of personas. It says, you know, every day I push this button, and this button causes the the stakeholders, uh, the engineers, and the underlying business. It causes them to get this outcome, and so we 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 will document who's responsible for the workflow, what the workflow does. And then we start looking at what are the critical points in that workflow and how we can we can look at automating that. And that's before we even get into the tools, um, the legacy tools we have to touch and all of that. But you're you're 100 percent right. Most of the time, these workflows and the different pivot points that they have, they exist because once they try to do it and, and there was an issue and then they put up a guardrail. So that's the person that you know, the, the manual gate that determines whether this workflow proceeds or not. Once they try to do it and there was an, there was an outage. So now, you know, every, every, uh, every workflow requires this. And then there's always, there's that Lion King like um, area of, of automation or area of the network where, you know, when, when, when Simba asks his dad, you know, what's that dark area? And they say, we just don't go there. And there's always those things. And you can try to go headlong and say, well, you know, it's to save a million dollars, but a lot of times it's better to just leave it alone and say, we don't go there. It's really interesting. Well, first off, I, I have to say the, the descriptiveness is pretty colorful already on this episode. We're like five minutes in and we've got <laughs> human API, hand of doom, uh, the somehow a reference to the Lion King. It's all really impressive. Um, I, I, I see these things. I mean, like, so first off, I want to, I want to bring up the idea of, of the fact that process is not necessarily bad. And I think you guys kind of have alluded to that. But a lot of times, like this is the way that enterprises actually, like you said, put some control around something because it was out of control previously. And so they do put that gate up there. Now, it may or may not need to exist in a, in a world of automation. Like that's what needs to be analyzed. But the reality is you have to know it. Now, identifying it is you, you mentioned or alluded to the idea of, uh, of the difficulty, right? And kind of like identifying some of these things. Sometimes they can be very well hidden. And I think about this, like think about the last time you were onboarded somewhere, uh, last time you came onto a job. And you were looking for a piece of information. Or you were looking for something. You're like, where do I find this thing? 
<laughs> like maybe you go to your boss, your team lead or something like that. And you're like, Hey, where do I, where do I find this piece of information? And, and then like, somebody's like, Oh yeah, that's Joe. <laughs> you need to go talk right. to Joe. Joe's the person yep. who does that thing. And it's like, well, okay, sure. But is that really the most efficient? And the reality is, is that just kind of, that develops naturally. You mentioned the fact that, you know, small businesses, lots of individuals taking lots of stake and just kind of just doing what needs to be done. You put those guardrails on, that's, that's all well and fine. But the reality is, is that every large business was once a small business, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of these like hybrid processes that exist that are just the evolution that have happened, not with structure or thought or whatever. They are just the way that things evolved because it just worked and no one has really given it thought. So, I mean, I imagine a lot of the times you go in and you identify this is a process we, we don't really want to touch because this makes sense because it's, it's a control point. But I imagine you often, I mean, and you guys would have to answer this, but go in and find a lot of processes like, okay, that's kind of silly. Like, can we put, <laughs> can we put something around this? Well, think about, think about how much and how difficult cloud adoption is for a lot of enterprises. You know, a lot of their gatekeeping and controls and, and their auditing is built around a rack and stacked server they you know they'll ask you know you we've all seen those forums when we're deploying a, a cloud application for approval and part of the part of the checks and balances is oh where is this located at you know what 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 physical data centers what 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 switch port what rack you know uh what you is this currently deployed in and you go well kind of really deployed nowhere or everywhere at the same time you know depending on where your cloud infrastructure is and then you get that through a review board and they're going to say, well, why didn't you fill this field out? Well, you know, now, now it becomes just what initially was to, you know, automate a, a particular daily activity becomes this entire re-education piece. And you can, and, and a lot of us miss that in the initial outset saying, okay, we're going to be going into an enterprise. We're going to kick off this initiative to make everyone's lives easier. And you and we all forget because a lot of the stuff is industry standard to us is that that slowly grown organic process and gatekeeping hasn't grown with this new strategy of of load balancing in front of OpenShift or, you know, um, racking and stacking servers when now we're deploying containerized applications. So all these it's, it's not just one thing, you know, and it's, it's not just one focus of, of automated network. And I think. It's, it's very difficult for us to go into these organizations and have to be knowledgeable of what the actual automation piece is, but how we actually educate, you know, people who have done this organically grown process for so many years and have not been kept up with what the rest of the industry is doing. When we try to bring in some of these new platforms and things that are supposed to help them and their organization grow. So... I think, Darren, when you talked about at the very beginning is that these new technologies or, or maybe it was you, Jordan, that these new uh, technologies, these companies want to adopt, they come with a very heavy instruction booklet and education piece that a lot of people in the organization need to become aware of, not just the people that are maintaining and implementing it. It's an interesting point, too, because I think that a lot of times when we think about, you know, uh, change when it comes to technology, we, we put it within the constraints of technology. Like the, what what yep. are the tools? What are the systems? What are the things? Um, but but a lot of automation. Every time we keep coming back to this, is a people and process thing. I, I would say, you know, like I I think the technology is a very very small piece of it. Like we're not using anything that hasn't been around or hasn't been used before. It's not yep. revolutionary. It's just the processes that you know maybe the tools have gotten a little bit better where it's a bit more accessible to people. But now now we have to do the hard work, and that's the people and process work. Yeah. And um, that's what that is too. I also want to see your guys' opinion because you know, I spent a lot of time in the traditional DevOps space. 
And it feels like the original intention of that was a cultural change. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the traditional SEs, SREs are still really talking about culture. And I, I do see it in the network space as well. But, you know, maybe, you know, how can the network automation practitioner who, who may be coming in a little bit later in this life cycle approach, you know, this enterprise product, right, or problem, you know, because they're, they're not looking at technology, but they're also going to have these headwinds. So how can they maybe navigate these enterprise processes while they're trying to also come up with the technology? Yeah, we, we joke all the time and say, you know, technology is not never the problem except when it is, right? There are some, you are going to run into some things where technology is an issue. You know, you're trying to put a square peg in a round hole, so to speak. But for the most part, it, it, you hit it on the head. It, it's, it's people and processes. And it's really figuring out a way to incentivize those that have been keeping the lights on for better or worse. And they've been doing an, a fantastic job of it incentivizing them to adopt a different way of thinking. So if you're a network practitioner that's embedded into an automation practitioner that's embedded in an enterprise, you know, it's largely a social experiment. You have to figure out who are the biggest detractors, who's going who has no interest in doing things a different way and figuring out how you can you can make their their life a bit easier. Then you figure out uh, quick wins in that space. You know, if I can make if I can pull um uh, Joe or Jenny, the firewall person on my side, and I can automate a bit of their life, but that ties into a larger workflow that helps this business initiative, then that's a win-win. Um, but it is, is largely, it's much more social and people-oriented than I, I even believed uh, at, at the beginning. It has a lot more to do with how people feel about their work and how they feel incentivized to change the way they work, more so than the technology itself. Yeah. That's really astute point too. Uh, the uh, the incentivize to change your work because I've had this conversation with a with a bunch of different engineers. Just you know, wh what do you think about automation? Like as I'm as I'm out with a customer and talking to them, like where do they think automation fits into their their roadmap? And you talk to an engineer, and I, I find that's where I find the the most interest from a from a general perspective. Like yeah, I'm hearing about it. I, I think we should look at it. We should do it. And you start talking to them practically, and they're like, well, this really doesn't save me any time, right? Like that that's their that's their point of view. This doesn't really save me any time. But everyone on this call, you know, we all know that <laughs> we all know that it's not just time, right? It's it's about you know the consistency of the data and and reproducibility. And there's all kinds of different things that are these values that tend to be broader business values. That's not necessarily to the engineer. So when you say like, how does an engineer approach it? I think that their perspective is only part of the perspective. I think the larger business needs to buy in. And when I say the larger business, not the entire business, because, you know, the CEO doesn't care how all that much about how the technology gets delivered, just that it gets delivered reliably. But in the technology stack, you know, the entire technology team needs to recognize, hey, like we need to make a change. Like, I don't think you're going to, you might be able to initiate a groundswell. Right. As an engineer, you might be able to come in and say, hey, there's some advantages here, but you need to be thinking like like a business leader, not like a technology leader to really to to, to get that initiative off the ground. Because a lot of this stuff, like we're talking about people process um, it, it being the big challenges. It's also where we see the most uh, advantage, uh, the most benefit is, is in those things. It's not the technology. And so your your run of the mill engineer is going to have um, sometimes a narrow view. And so I think it's, it's a broader question. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that or not. But that. Yeah, so the, the big thing with enterprise space is that you need to become very, very aware of what the business value is against the, the technical value. I think in a lot of small businesses, the, the business value can somewhat be glossed over as long as it's kind of, you know, not 
grossly more expensive or it is a cost savings versus the, the previous but in an enterprise space because there's so many people involved there really does need to be a necessary business value for what this uh tooling or automation or pro you know process or it can just be getting everyone to learn how git works and and sending people to a boot camp you need to understand you need you yourself need to understand what the business value is for the initiative that you are either trying to lead or become a part of um you know and one thing when we're going back to some of the more legacy process that we have to work around because you know businesses grow this you know over time um I'm sure you've all heard of Occam's razor, which is the simplest solution is always the, the correct one. I like to follow Hanlon's razor, which is over, which is never attribute to malice in that which can be adequately explained by stupidity. Um, like some of these processes don't exist because someone is trying to prevent you from doing your job. We have to understand why these processes exist and know un and understand their purpose. You know, this something silly happened at one point in time that caused an outage and a process got put in place to help prevent that. It's to help the business and help everyone. It's not trying to prevent you from doing, you know, this new form of automation. So working with the people that own or work in this process, understanding what their what their initiatives are and understanding how our piece may change that, but for hopefully the better. And if it's not, and if it's very important that this gate, this gate check stay because it's saving the business time and money, then understand that you may need to reevaluate re your opinion and your stance to support that. Uh, and, security architects everywhere are cheering right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that, I mean, that, that's the big pitch, right? Like, I'm not doing this to make your job awful. I'm doing this because we need to from a business perspective. But that's true across the board. It's not just security. But as I was as I was hearing you, I was like, oh my word! Like, this is the this is the pitch yep. for security as well. But yep. uh, Darren, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, right in line with Brian mentioned, and it really puts the the onus and the responsibility on the the network developer the the developer the engineer that's going and actually developing these automation solutions because if you provide someone with the same way a, a different way of doing the exact same thing uh, the engineer or even the business owner you're not going to pro provide much value the value really comes in up leveling in a bit and and changing the way they do business so for example if you generate a config by doing you know uh, copy and paste and find replace in notepad plus plus and i tell you well change this yaml file and put it in git and now it's the same unit of config that may be exciting for a day or two but it, as you mentioned it really doesn't save them much time so what you really have to do is figure out a way to up level it to tie it into a bigger business initiative make their life a bit easier is it, is difficult to do make their life a bit easier but also free them up to do something different that also as as business value so as a an engineer, developer, automation engineer, whatever we call ourselves, someone that puts code in a network and automates a network, it really puts an, an enormous responsibility on you to tie all these different different initiatives together. So, I mean, I, I've, I've heard a bit now about the processes, right? So we talked about, you know, they can be difficult to find and talk about some of the things that you can do. So, so what are, what are some of your tactics, right? Like what are some of the tools if we're, if we're going to advise people who are going to go down this road, you know, what are some of the things that they should be doing to help identify these processes to work with them or around them? I mean, so what is it, uh, what are you guys doing when you're going and talking to customers? Is there, are there specific steps you guys are taking to, to make this a bit easier? Yeah. Um, one of the ones that I do, I had the, the fortune and joy of DJing for a long time. 
And so one of the things you have to do in DJ, it's a social experiment, right? You have to figure out, um, you get this bill of, of songs and you get this responsibility from whoever paid you to be there. And they want you to, to, to initiate a party with the crowd, right? And that's really what an automation initiative is. It's a party with a crowd. Everyone comes to the table with their own needs. We got to get this done. So you, as a DJ, you have to find out who's never going to dance, who's always going to dance, who goes to the bar a lot, all these different things. And so it's the same thing in the, in the automation space. I have to figure out who's a detractor, who's a naysayer, who absolutely has no, no interest in any of this. Um, from there, you, then you have to find out, well, who, who brought us in? Who's gung-ho and no matter what we say, you know, who's going to be on board? You have to find a way to have them meet in the middle. And that goes, you know, is segueing all the way back to those those processes. How do I make your life easier? How do I add business value? And, and how do I how do I bring these things together? I think the another one would be patience. Um, this is probably the number one skill. There, I don't think it, when it comes into enterprise, you, I think that the technical a lot of the technical skills are. Um, easily achievable i think i think patience and the more of the soft skills are, are become more important when you start enterprise or when you start navigating the enterprise space um and and listening skills i think would be the the second one you need to understand why someone is bringing their opinion to the table why they feel that their voice isn't being heard and it could be something from a simple misunderstanding um it could be because there's this long standing principle in this um company that you may not have contextual awareness of um you could be in the you could be working directly for a lot of these enterprises um but be a network engineer day in and day out and you may not understand a lot of the you know the very top level conversations that happen and why seemingly silly things happen and or, or expectations get made of you during you know during your your day-to-day -day job um so when you get into a lot of these new technology adoption spaces you need to understand what their concerns are as well and temper your opinion and and help them craft a roadmap and i think we all have have gone through this with uh with a lot of managers you know when when then when you have a network outage your manager doesn't want to hear you scream there's a network outage they want to hear your plan for getting it remedied and if you come with a solution or at least open to craft a solution together, I think that's going to set you 70% of the way there, in my opinion. And I, I found it's critical too um, to dispel the myth that automation is going to replace someone's job. Like yeah. we, when, when, when that comes into a project, there are some that come to the table and that's their fear and that you'll see that that's why they, they may poke holes in an attempt for this project and you have to dispel that myth and that's done through, like Brian mentioned, empathy, listening, and finding out, you know, what what's really their main concern. I mean, it's actually too. Like, feels as I've as I've aged, I actually like process more and more. You know, like when I was when I was younger, you know, it was a little bit more headstrong. I just wanted to get something done. Um, well, we've all been cowboy engineers, right? But so so now, you know, in this automated world, I feel like we can actually influence new processes. Like, what are what are some of the things that we could actually create in a process level to help everybody? You know what? I 100% agree. Um, as I, as I've gotten older, I've I've started to understand more the purpose of process. Um, 
I equated a lot to writing helper scripts or little like everyone has customized their bash terminal at some point in time. They've written a function to or I hope everyone has at some point in time written a function to help you execute a command with with uh, fewer arguments. Um, I see processes the same way. Um, writing testing um uh, testing playbooks and and testing frameworks so that way you can save yourself from having to manually execute these tests every single time. Obviously, that's error prone to begin with, but it just saves you time if you can have something else, a machine, automate this t this test suite so that way you know what you're doing is is going to be good. Same thing with with actual physical you know processes that we all humans follow. Um, they serve the same purpose as to actually make our jobs easier. Um, now, some of them aren't designed the, the best or, or could use a little bit of cleanup or refactoring. But at the end of the day, it's it's actually meant to save us time and money and effort. Um, and just being aware that we can all help change that is is something that I think um, is important for any engineer, both in small business and large enterprises to, to understand. Yeah, I like the process of automating change review. We've all had to go before CAB or change review board or change advisory board. And that's a process that is tedious, but, um, and we, we've all done it when you're doing it manually and you say, I don't, there's no reason for me to have to do a backout script until you really need the backout script and you're thankful you did it. Well, if, if in just the simplest configuration generation, we can do a, an instantiation script, a backout script, and also your, your justification for the change review get that into your uh, ticketing system du jour, that's that's a real benefit. And it's still within the guardrails and processes that we see. And that's when we see like the, the automation adoption start to start to really take hold because not only are you automating this unit of config and this network state change, but all of the processes around it, you're you're having them work more cohesively. That's a really interesting case. <laughs> yeah. Because when you think about that, like, you know, the change process, I mean, what network engineer loves dealing with the change board? Like, I mean, come on now. Like, right, no one yeah. really wants to do that. I think most people, I, well, let me rephrase it. People who've lived without a backout script write their own backout scripts. Like, they don't need a change board to do that. But I think the problem is that the change board's always comprised of a team of people where you have to explain a bunch of stuff you never really want to dive too far into before. So if you can demonstrate competence over and over, um, through whether it's through automation or, or manual process, like you, you have to explain less and less with the idea that they they believe that what you're bringing to the table is is good and and whatever you should have a peer reviewed all that other stuff, but the um, but having some something do that work for you, <laughs> I never I, I never thought about that. I, I have a I have a very specific customer in mind that I'm thinking of is like that their change process is, is particularly uh particularly painful that that could see a lot of benefit from that. That's interesting. Yeah. Great, greatest success I've had with that is bring them into the automation project. Get someone from the CAD board on the project and let them know up front, our goal is to be able to deploy this all day, right? And so we, you have to help us get this change review to a point where you're, you're okay to give us a blanket sign off unless we change something. And then you prove to them that because it's in Git, you know, because we're doing it automated, computers do exactly what you tell them to do over and over again. Because of that, you know, nothing will change. And those are the greatest wins I've seen on projects I've been fortunate enough to work on is when you involve security, change review, everyone that's a stakeholder, and you tell them, it's, you know, it's not existing in a vacuum or it's not clandestine. We want to pull you out of the process. And but we want to do it in a way that you're sure that nothing's going to change and we're not going to take the network down. 
Yeah. One of the things I'm hearing too, it's really funny because, because Rick brought up the idea of the, he didn't say it. It was a uh, Brian who said it, but the cowboy engineer, like, I think we all kind of start there, right? Like we just go do our thing. And that, you know, I think that as you go along, you start to develop, or at least I hope you start to develop an appreciation for the process. Like, and, and again, these, these guidelines and these guardrails and these things that go into place because, uh, who of us hasn't done something stupid, <laughs> right? Who of us hasn't been in that position where we wish we had that back out script. And I think that I think that if you're starting to talk about automation seriously, I think you have to be uh, a fan of process because that's what you're doing. Like you're you're creating, you're automating something, and to know that you have to know it start to finish, you have to know what the constraints are, you have to know what the variables are, you have to understand what can and can't happen within it. You have to really fully understand start to finish how something is going to work, or at least the part that you're automating, or else it will never work, right? So I think that those two things are like. Uh, are synonymous or it's dichotomous to not believe in process, but to believe in automation because it's what you're developing, right? I mean, that's what ultimately the end goal is, is to create something that is a process that I have to deal with less manually, but still is a process and more defined probably than what exists in most enterprises today. Uh, so I, well, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Brian. No, 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 You're good. Like, uh, like I, I keep thinking like uh, this, uh, I have a background in telco and there was, there's like one time I, I still, it's still, crystal clear in my memory we're doing a, a big migration and someone doesn't write a backout script forgets to back up the the config and then something doesn't go right like just something like the it, the install didn't go right so we had to wipe the i think it was a, a switch or a router or something and we had to just completely wipe the whole thing and everyone's just like oh, okay where's the backup and luckily someone had just uh, just out of accidental left a, a copy of the backup on their desktop and people were scrounging around for a backup after that day, you know, you, you start to, we start developing our own process. You know, we were like, okay, when we start doing a migration, because it was on our, was on us, we'll do a backup just in case all automation is doing is just standardizing that and getting community agreement with what this process is, you know, running an automated backup, running, you know, automated checks in, in lab equipment, everything else. We do this because we've been burned with it in the past. Why not just standardize it all agree on the same, like way we deploy things and just make it, you know, and automate it, do it as much as, you know, you know, with, with the machine to do it as possible and cut down our work. You know, it's, it's not like it's a, it's a radical change. It's just standard standardization. The show has talked a lot about people in process. It's just, it's, it's hilarious. A bunch of technology <laughs> guys obviously are yeah. talking about, but it's just such an important piece, right? Like there's just no way you can get around that. It's 90% of the problem. It, it's really, not, it really is. Technology is yeah. such a small piece of it. Yeah. To your point, I had this, you know, one of those really funny things that you, you develop because of, of what you've learned along the way. When I started mm -hmm. consulting, like so first when I worked on my own networks, I kept my own backups. I trusted my own backups. I knew what was there uh, for networking gear. When I started consulting, um, I, I, without recognizing it, had realized I had applied that same belief that backups existed to, to my customers, which wasn't always necessarily true. Um, yep. and, and ended up, you know, getting into a position where it's like, hey, we need a backup. Do you have it? They're like, no. And I'm like, okay. So one of those things, like when you talk about these things that just kind of evolve and develop, like I turned on logging on every single one of my sessions, didn't matter where it was. Yep. So that before I ever touched anything on a piece of equipment, like my mental process, what I did is I, I logged into the device. I did a show run. Uh, if I needed a couple other commands, I did those show commands before I mm -hmm. touched anything, 
knowing full well that that then would be on my system. <laughs> so then I had, I had the, at least a, a, a reference of what it should be. Right. But I never thought about it after I did that. But the amount of times I used that was because of that pain point that, that I developed that process. Now, if I had yep. developed some sort of automation, right, like then it would be maybe even more refined. Maybe I could pull out even more information. I could be more explicit about the things that I was looking for. Cause there still was a manual interaction with that. I still had to know what I had to do. And if yep. I didn't do the show run on that log, I was without a backup and I was out of luck, you know? Yeah. So like, so that's interesting. Any other, uh, any other strategies? I mean, I, I, it feels like the, the main strategy here is go out and read how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that seems like the, the main strategy, but that's really what it is. I mean, if you're going to be leading an effort, I honestly would say reading reading the Phoenix Project. I I know yeah. some people don't love the love the book, but there there's a key point in that one when you mentioned security people like that was like the the security guru was saying, oh, we're gonna we're gonna get hacked, and then he gets stuck in the the in the audit and realizes that the 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 company had all these processes to make sure that they weren't losing money. They did double booking and everything else like that. They 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 covered their you know their their process with process. Um, and so, yeah, they weren't the most secure organization, but they had ways to catch, at, you know, all those issues um, through some more human and manual uh, steps. It just, you know, sometimes those need to be reviewed, you know, and like Darren said, bringing them into the automation to realize that some of the processes that they do are no longer relevant because we're doing double work or there's a there's a better way to do this. So, um, I mean, there is there is a bunch of technology things, I think, probably helping educate people doing boot camps um, to understand like what the purpose of network automation is, what what Git benefits you and understanding source control. There's a lot of technology education pieces, which again, it's, that kind of draws the line or is, is on the line between people and, and technology. But I think picking things that have a well accepted industry um, adoption, have good education pieces, good knowledge bases, I think is makes it easier to get through an enterprise um, automation project, you know, a lot easier because people are, are having the same conversations. There's, there's some tips too that, that are, um, that are, you know, technology focused, but specific to the company, like um, giving away industry trade secrets here, but, you know, spend as much time as you can up front learning the, the company jargon, right? Like learning is, is going to be alphabet soup and acronyms. And so when you go into a, an initiative, you have to learn uh, something as simple as do they call it VRF or VRF, and you have to know that immediately, right? What do they call? What is their their DMZ of choice? What do they call it? When you hear an, an acronym, you know GIT, is it actually Git or is it something else? You know all these different acronyms, and then you start to then you'll start to see how the, those piece together, and you'll figure out some of the workflows, some of the key players, and that sort of thing. And then um, lastly, I'll say is be an expert like, as a consultant, you know, you're you're on on the clock, whether you're embedded or not, and you're there to be an expert. So have an opinion, uh, but be be open to, you know, be objective, right? You're not the, the absolute in say of anything, but have an opinion, be an expert and, and get in there and be embedded. Treat it like your own your own uh, network. Uh, but you do have to leave them with the finished product as opposed to how you would do it if you were a, a long-term employee. You guys brought up something earlier. It, it was, you know, bringing all the people to the table. So you have your, your supporters, you have your people in the middle who maybe need some convincing and you have detractors. I'm, I'm really interested in the detractor side, right? Because I've seen this in multiple places. Um, and it can absolutely just absolutely kill a pro, uh, project if they aren't 
you know, brought on board or somehow worked around. So like, what are, are there any processes there? Cause I mean, I think that oftentimes that's a perception thing, but those who yell the loudest tend to get the most attention. And, you know, it's the ones who are yelling things that sound really scary that people pay attention to. And, and that tends to be the detractors in, in any project. And so like, how, how are you bringing them into the process? So this may not be an enterprise process question, but since you brought it up, I think it opens us up to that from a conversation perspective. Like, how do you get tra- detractors on board? You had mentioned, you know, one of the big fears is, you know, we're going to lose the job, which I think is crazy. Yeah. Like everything's getting more complicated. Um, automation is just allowing us to, to handle it better. I think the idea that the network engineer is going away is just such a funny concept. Um, yeah, <laughs> right? but, yeah it, it, it's just, you know, the, the role will change for sure. But the it's not it's not going away but i mean that's not always the detractor some people you know will 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 fear maybe their skill set not being up to date or will fear a bunch of different things and and that will come out in a lot of different ways so i mean i'm sure you guys experience this often so i'm curious if you guys have any um you know empathy i guess is probably the answer but i'll, I'll let mm-hmm. you guys answer the uh <laughs> the question yeah oftentimes i found is, is education right because um Using Ansible kind of as the as the the analogy, we'll come in and and <clears throat> more than likely someone on the team has started some grassroots Ansible. They have a few playbooks, or they have you know they've automated a workflow or so, and now they need um, architecture, they need additional help, uh, and they need to spur the dis- initiative on. Well, the main detractor is normally someone that doesn't understand what that playbook is doing or what Ansible is doing. I've had it as simple as you know we can just do this in Python. And then you have to spend some time educating them at, to say, um, or, or, you know, I used to write scripts in VB script and we can we could do this 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 way much easier. You have to spend a lot of time educating them. And it is it is outside of your initial goal. But if you get if you can get a detractor on your side or at least to become someone that is you know ambivalent and, and, and won't just pull the room into a negative space. Uh, it's a huge win. So I'd say the biggest thing in addition to empathy is education. Find out what they're what they're so against. And most of the time, it's not automation. It's some some experience they've had or some miseducation for what the initiative is actually trying to do. Yeah, because that's uh, that's a good point. Um, because you know, unless someone is actually getting a kickback from from continuing continuing to to tout VB script inside of an organization. Um, the the likelihood is is that they just don't understand necessarily the concepts but computing is computing automation like writing code it really isn't that different between all the different languages um but because someone may not understand the difference you know syntax for a different language they may look at it and say this is doing something completely different and once you walk through them to you know walk them through to understand how the syntax is different but the actual core components the core business process is still the same and why you would necessarily want to go to a different uh language or standard um is going to benefit the larger organizations just basically say you're right we do want to follow the same process we're just going to do this in this different language understood that you may not understand that but here's the reason why is because your vb script has not been supported in however long and it is way more difficult to find people to help you um should you decide to leave or you know whatever but think of it as find a way to to help them realize that learning another language is only going to help them and their career out you know, it's it's not a we're, we want to get rid of your ideology of how this should be automated. We think that you are right with a business process, but Ansible 
is going to be better than writing this in VB script. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, this is a team activity, right? Like we're, yep. we're 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 bringing in all these different elements of the team and trying to move it forward, which you know adds a little bit of additional load to maybe the the initial project, but really is kind of the keys to success, is what I'm hearing. Yep. Yeah, and, and no one can yell at you with a mouthful of food. So it, it's you know it's a very simple There's thing. The but secret. you just gave away. Yeah, that's, that's the truth. There, <laughs> sitting, sitting down, breaking bread, having a sandwich or you know a beverage, and actually finding out. Because sometimes it, you know, they're gems in what those detractors are saying. Why are you so against this project? What's going on? Or what do you know that I don't know? No. And you know that 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 wins them on your side. And ultimately, it's going to be a, a technical resource because, especially if they're, you know, CCIE level architect or they have uh, some purview into the entire network or even outside of the network, it's going to win you a, a a champion that can assist with the project going forward. I think I think another thing is is to to really think about how you actually go about the adoption strategy. Um, it's it's no small secret that the, a lot of the industry is moving to agile methodologies, and um, that waterfall, depending on your organization, may still work for, work for you. Uh, I, I, this is not the podcast to debate agile versus waterfall, um, but one thing I think that we all need to think about is make sure that the way we go about this isn't just like a bait and switch, like Indiana Jones kind of like, we're going to build up this whole platform and just swap it out without any understanding of what was there before. We should go about all of the engagements with a, a bi-directional conversation and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to take on this little piece right here. We're going to automate it and prove to you. This is actually doing things and this actually has an actual win and slowly work on that for every, you know, all the little components and actually build up the, the one entire system in a piece by piece basis. I think what scares a lot of engineers is just thinking that you're going to come in, swap out all the OSs and all of the way that they do things it overnight. And then they're going to be out of a job because they weren't able to, you know, learn this on day one. That's not the way this, a lot of these, there's a way these engagements should not go. It's just a, is an overnight swap out. Um, I think it really should be organically grown, which is what I like about agile is that if it's done right, it really can be, you know, piece by piece adopted in, in the way that everyone agrees should be adopted um, versus, you know, a waterfall strategy, which says, this is what we want to do. We've got to code it. And then I'm just going to, you know, hot cut it the, the night before we go live. And that was that was almost the exact point I was going to say, Brian. I, I think that the the way that I I phrase it is you know crawl walk run. And I think that the reason why that's so challenging in something like this is that with with this to get into automation, like a lot of the benefits come from the final state, right? There's there's a yep. lot in that intermediate where you might actually be doing a little bit more work or it might be taking a little more time or it might be a little more difficult, right? But we're talking about the long game. So when we have the conversations about like what is going to do for the business and like how we're going to affect these processes, we talk about that in state, which is very different than the state that is today. But the reality is that to get there, it has to be slow and methodical. And I think that sometimes that can be daunting, uh, overwhelming yep. to people as they, as they look and say, oh, well, wait a minute, what you're talking about is very different. Yep. Um, and we're not used to that. And this has worked for us for so long. Like, why are we changing this? Where the reality is, is that if you say, yes, this is the end state, but we're going to take the next two years to get there. This is what that's going to look like. We're going to start here with these little efforts and, and incrementally change the way that we do things so that it's not, you know, biting off the entire sandwich all at once, but just one at a, one bite at a time. We can, uh, we can, you know, we can get there without disrupting everybody so much. I mean, I think that's probably one of the other, you know, detractor yep. motivations. It's just that this is a really yep. different way to do things. Yep. 
All right. I think that that is, uh, well, first off, it's been a fantastic conversation. It's been really interesting and you guys have some very colorful ways to describe things and I love it. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, so one of the things about podcasting, um, is that it's a very single direction broadcast style of communication. We like to bridge that gap though, and make it as bi-directional as possible. So I'd like to give everyone opportunity to share where they can be found. Rick, I'm going to start with you. Where are you online? Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on the Network to Code Slack, so slack.networktocode.com, uh, or on Twitter, shermdog01, and I'm still looking for Twitter to change that for me, so I'm just <laughs> it every episode until they do. <laughs> nice. Uh, Brian, how about yourself? Uh, I am also in the Network to Code public Slack. I'm not uh, in there too often, but if, if you want to reach out to me, I'm definitely there as well. I'm also on Twitter as well, Brian Culver, uh, but that's Brian with a Y. I don't know Brian with an I, uh, Culver. So if you reach out to him, he may not have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Darren? Yeah, you can. Uh, I'm on public Slack, NetworkToCode.com, and Twitter, uh, GitHub. Everything is always Dirty One Kenobi, D-I-R-T-Y-O-N-E Kenobi. Uh, and if you ask me nicely, I explain to you where that comes from. <laughs> <laughs> we might we might have that conversation after we hit the uh, stop button, the recording here. Another podcast, another time. Another podcast, another time. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, I'm Jordan Martin. I can be found on Twitter as at BC Jordo. Uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. You can find me there just by searching for my name. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, there's quite a catalog of uh, networking geeky goodness that you can find on networkcollective.com. If you'd like to subscribe and have these episodes pushed to you as soon as they're released, Network Collective can be found on all the regular podcast sites like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and the like. We also like to engage with our audience on social media, so you can follow us at NetCollectivePC on Twitter and as Network Collective on both Facebook and LinkedIn. So uh, Network to Code is a fantastic partner in bringing lots of great automation knowledge and capability to the show. Uh, if you are interested in automation, uh, I can think of no better place to start than their free Slack, which the guys mentioned. Uh, you can register for that at slack.networktocode.com. Uh, you should also take a few minutes to check out their site, networktocode.com, to see how they might be able to help you uh, in any type of uh, networking automation initiatives you might have going on. And so I think that about wraps it up. Uh, thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you next time.